1: Ben Jarofsky Show for this Friday, July 28th, starts now. On today's show, the Chicago lawyer turned Las Vegas rain man, Brendan Schiller, joins Ben Jarovsky for Oh What a Week. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of chicago where to go what to do what to eat what to drink and so much more and if you want more content from ben jarofsky it's all there it's at chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky that's j-o-r-a-v is in victory s-k-y
2: Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this a new day, CPS Friday, and here's why. Actually, it's, oh, what a week, a Friday. Brendan Schiller is my distinguished guest live from Las Vegas, and he's dutifully waiting for his moment to be called to the stage and address the multitudes out there who want to hear what he has to say about all the news of the day. Uh, including stuff that's happening in the city of Chicago, uh, probably mostly stuff that's happening in the city of Chicago. Although uh, it just occurred to me, uh, Brendan, we could talk about Donald Trump. One more, uh, one more indictment, or no, one more accusation. I said added to the ongoing list of things he's done wrong. Allegedly instructing an aide to get rid of the evidence. <laughs> get rid of the. I don't even know if we, you know, like. You didn't have to tell him that, Donald Trump. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's so like mobster, get rid of the evidence. Uh, Anyway, I want to do a little uh, promotion uh, before I get started. This Tuesday, first Tuesday returns. The city of Chicago, Brendan Schiller would be there, except he's in Vegas. We will be. Uh, to, uh, the uh, Blank Gallery, Blanc Gallery, excuse me, 4445 South King Drive. We'll be talking all things Chicago Public Schools. Megan Freeman will be there. She is a, a local school council member at the Woodlawn Community Academy. Ling Young will be there. She's top aide to Jeanette Taylor. JT, shout out. All Jeanette Taylor, who is the head of the Education Committee. And uh, Mouise Bawani will be there, good friend of this show. Uh, Mouise, I, I think I'm driving Mouise to the event. Sometimes you got to drive the guests to the event. Louise ran for Alderman in the 50th Ward. He's a Chicago Public School teacher, high school school teacher. Lots of thoughts on education. Lots of thoughts of where the Chicago Public Schools are going. Doors probably open at six thirty, but the show begins at seven. I urge everybody to come on down. I know it's going to be a challenge some of my North Side listeners to get over to 44, 45 South King Drive. I was telling Brendan this uh, yesterday when we were chatting about the show. There's just like a mental block. That Chicagoans have Chicago's Chicago is such a tribal city in general. It's like, where are you from? What parish are you from? <laughs> I was confronted with that question. Like in 1981, I've said this many times. I moved to Chicago. I didn't even know what a parish was. Parish? What's a parish? What, what do you mean? What's a parish? <laughs> then I knew I wasn't a Chicagoan. I didn't know what a parish was. What parish are you from? What part of the city are you from? So the notion of getting north siders to go to the south side is like a really tricky thing. You know, my adukmassa, my, my partner crime, uh at first two she goes, Ben, let's let's do the show in different venues. Let's not just have one venue. So okay, I'm I'm up for that. Uh, but man, I've noticed it's hard to get you north siders to go to the You know, we burn the north side a lot. South siders come to the venues. Get Northsiders to go south? It's tough. Going south of like Soldier Field. You know, and then they start breaking into a sweat. I <laughs> really don't know. Chicago, you're weird. Okay. Uh, one of the things I've noticed at the new school board, it's a radically different school board. Get uh, Brenda to talk about this when we get started. Let me see. I have the names right here in front of me. One of them is an old friend of Brendan Schiller's. Uh, that would be Tanya D. Woods, uh, board member, executive director of the West Side Justice Center. Uh, Michelle Morales, she's with the Woods Fund. Uh, Rudy Lasagna, Jr. Uh, well, he's a he's a uh, the executive director with Global Philanthropy, J.P. Morgan Chase. So, that's, you know, that's kind of corporate, I would say, J.P. Morgan tra- uh, Chase, but he's the son of of the uh, late union organizer, uh, Rudy Lozano, who was murdered in the 80s. Uh, Mary Faye Hughes, uh, she's an activist uh, for special education rights. Uh, be, uh, fear, fearless activist, in my humble opinion. Uh, and uh, Janae Shai, who is the executive director, raise your hand, for uh, uh, Illinois public education. He's the head. So these are basically essentially these are people on the left. These are people who are not part of the established business community, which is interesting. I have I actually have in front of me the lineup of that uh, Mayor Rahm, Mayor Rahm's first school board. I happen to have that. At the things I keep, Brendan Schiller, I will now show Brendan Schiller, he probably doesn't believe me. But there it is. I keep it. I'm a weird human being, Brendan. And uh, it included Penny Pritzker. A member of the billionaire Pritzker family. That was before J.B., her brother, became elected uh, mayor. She was definitely there as sort of corporate Chicago. <laughs> I don't know. You, you, there was plenty of representation that I think about it from corporate Chicago. Uh, Jesse Ruiz, the um, uh, he was the vice president, uh, David Vitale. He's vice president of the board. David Vitale was the board of education president. Uh, and uh, he understands the finances and operation. This is what the Sun Times wrote. <laughs> it's a total puff piece for Rom. Uh, the Sun Times always, always helping Rom out, bright one uh, in those early days. That just guys love Rom a little too much. Uh, David Kelly understands the finances and operation of the CPS as former chief administrative officer under former CEO Arnie Duncan. Uh, his appointment is another nod to uh, AUSL. That's an acronym for an outfit called Academy for Urban School Leaderships. Uh, and their big thing was they were had corporate connections. They were going to turn around the public schools. So that's what Mayor Rahm was all about. He was going to bring corporate corporate people who could turn around the public schools because there was something wrong with public education in the city of Chicago. That it was only more like corporate Chicago, it would be better. And I'm like, I don't even know if Mayor Rahm or his supporters or his boosters or people who write editorials for the Sun-Times and the Tribune or Cranes, I don't think they ever thought through, like, what is it about corporate Chicago that makes you think it's a model that the Chicago public schools should follow? Like, just think about, think about what's going on in Twitter right now. Like, Twitter right now is in the control of a lunatic, Elon Musk, who's just blowing it up fired a bunch of people radically changed it. It's lost. It's losing money. It's he's threatening. It's very existence, but he can do it because he's in charge. He's the man. And that's that corporate mentality. I know what's best. They just like fired a bunch of people lost their job. Why would you think that would be a good model to follow with public education? Like, so if some kid's struggling, what are you just going to just fire him? That's it. You're gone bye see ya We're dumping you, getting rid of you, just gonna let you go. Huh? Is that is that the model? How about Meta? Speaking of corporations, Facebook. They changed their name to Meta. Meta fired, I don't know how many thousands of people. Brenda Schiller may know the answer to that. Uh last year, part he shakes his and I don't know. Don't look at me. Uh part of their reorganization. All right. And then just yesterday they, they announced, but Mark Zuckerberg. Hey, guys, guess what? Profits went up. Yeah, your profits went up. You fired everybody. Now they're going to hire more people back for A.I. So imagine if the public schools are run that way. Well, this year we're going to fire everybody and lay off students. And then next year, if we're making more money, we're going to let students come back. I don't know why it is that corporate Chicago and civic Chicago and editorial Chicago and mainstream Chicago think it's such a good idea to follow, I don't know, a capitalistic corporate model with public education. But it seems to be a break at the moment with uh, Mayor Johnson and the the group he has uh, appointed to run the school board. We'll see what direction they go, but it does seem to be a break uh in the mindset all right without further ado brendan schiller and my distinguished guest uh this, attorney uh criminal justice advocate reform advocate son of helen schiller yes the great uh, Alderwoman woman from the 46th ward uh and a uh, great poker player uh, who moved out of chicago went to vegas uh and not, knows when to hold them and knows when to fold them and has now become a good friend of the vendrovsky show welcome back brendan
0: Thank you, Ben. I think the most important thing he says, I'm a good friend of the Ben Jironsky show. I, I feel like
2: I'm a good fan of the Ben Jironsky show. God bless you for saying it. Although you're critical of, of the show last week I sent you, but we'll hold off on that criticism uh, because that was like last week's news. Uh, uh, so it's all a week. We have a bunch of news stories to go through. But I'm going to ask you to start off with the two things I said. One, the psychological block. The tribalism in Chicago, but the psychological block, the difficulty Northsiders have going south. You're born and raised in the city of Chicago. You were all over the city of Chicago. You have friends throughout the city. You worked, uh, dealt with politicians in every uh, neighborhood in the city of Chicago. Talk about that psychological hurdle <laughs> that Northsiders have when they have to go south of, let's say Silverfield. Go.
0: Yeah. I, well, you're actually raising multiple issues, and and there are multiple issues that 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 both do and don't contradict each other, right? So I mean, implicit what you're part of what you're raising is is racism in the history of of segregation um in the city and how uh that still plays a role. But separate from that is 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 kind of the cultural tribalism and the cultural compartmentalism. And part of what's so great about Chicago is the 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 working in conjunction with the history of segregation is you had a bunch of really rooted, authentic communities um, that that brought culture from from different different countries and different ethnicities, but also developed their own culture within those communities, and that, and that's true of a lot of eastern and midwestern cities. But I think it's not true of a lot of the newer cities out west, like Las Vegas or Denver or Phoenix, at all. Um, and but. It's, and particularly true about Chicago. So one of the contradictions um, about Chicago, one of the the paradoxes about Chicago has always been how you have the segregation and the tribalism, it's really two different things, Um, but you have these really authentic, rooted, culturally rich and deep communities that spreads throughout the city Um, and part of what makes the city so great. But that said, to your more specific question, um, the, the, both the elitism on the north side that works in conjunction with over the last 10, 15, 20 years, the 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 way that the South Side of Chicago has essentially become a euphemism across the country for the N-word. Um it, it is is that works together to create some really problematic stuff. Um and and you know, there's a different culture on the south side than there is a, or in different parts of the south side, throughout the south side, just like there's a different culture on the on the north side. And, and people really uh, miss out if they don't enjoy all parts of the city.
2: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I would say that uh, segregation is, uh, I would say, a subset of tribalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, like so tribalism, in the city of Chicago, which is something I discovered when I moved here in 1981, is pretty intense. It may be softening a little bit, but I noticed it. Uh, and again, I moved to Chicago, so I was completely fresh and ignorant about the city of Chicago. I wasn't born and raised here like you were. Like, these are things that you know from the birth. But like, oh, the, the west side is different than the south side, and the west side's tougher than the south side. I used, to, I used to hear that argument. Like, west side basketball players are tougher than south side basketball. I'm looking at some pretty tough south side basketball players. I'm like, why is the west side tougher than – what is going on here? Like, so – the tribalism I, I just, Chicago. Go.
0: Yeah. Well, so again, I think the segregation I've witnessed it. it is completely different than it was. I mean, I was there. I was a kid in the early 80s when my father, Mark Zalkin, was trying to work for Harold Washington in um, on the northwest side over there by Von Steuben. I'm not even sure what neighborhood you would call it. And he was getting spat on and it was all white. Right. There's no there's nowhere in the city anymore. That's all white. Um and there's nowhere in the city any, and and you used to and I was a kid in the uh mid to late 80s running with George Atkins, Atkins delivering All Chicago City news on the South Side and we would drive for hours from basically 26 all the way to Allgel Garden and never see anybody that, that wasn't black um and that's not the case anymore although there's still extensive um uh you know segregation and disinvestment in some large swaths of of Englewood and and, and Garfield Um, in in North Lawndale, Uh, but the segregation is getting better. The the integration is getting better. The tribalism remains, and I would argue, is a double-edged sword, and that there's some good aspects to it because in part, it's what builds pride um, in people and, and their communities and their culture. And that ultimately emanates is why Chicago is the most prideful city in the country um and i think so i think it's a double-edged sword some of that tribalism and i think it helps build like i said pride community and confidence in some ways
2: wait hold on we have a lot of things we have to discuss but i cannot allow, allow that to pass chicago is the most prideful city in the country what do you mean by that there is no other city where the residents will def- where the actual residents particularly those born
0: and raised will defend to the death the um, the value of the city and the culture as there is in Chicago, New York is close, Philly's close, um, but you 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 put a a bunch of at any age from any community a bunch of Chicago born and raised people in a room with a bunch of any other cities born and raised people, and they you have them argue it over whose city's best. Nobody's going to out argue uh, those Chicago ones chicago is the most prideful city in the country
2: well i will just uh before we i must just push back a little bit on that as a sports fan uh and uh i gotta tell you right now there is a weird twisted bizarre element in chicago uh and it comes to uh, i'm thinking now the sports fans who love the los angeles lakers I will never understand that love for the Los Angeles Lakers. I think it's a form of brainwashing. But I would say that when I was at the, Le- I went to the Bulls-Lakers game last March, i when it was, I'd say 10% of people that were wearing Lakers shirts. So Chicago yeah, isn't private you ask where, as they, want to as you you ask where they want to live, they'll never say L.A. <laughs>
0: you ask those 10% where those Lakers shirts, where they want to live, they ain't going to say L.A.
2: I'm just okay. We'll move on from that. I'm just going to say this to all you Chicagoans out there with your Lakers shirts. I think it's kind of lame. Those shirts. LeBron's not going to be your friend if you wear a Lakers shirt. Magic wasn't your friend. Kobe may rest in peace. He wasn't your friend. They don't even know you exist. All right, let's move on. Just that's a that's like really kind of nods at me, uh, Brendan, Chicagoans who root for the Lakers. That's a whole other thing. And then there's like some Chicagoans who root for, I love Tom Brady. We won't even get into that. All right. Um, before, before completely uh, education uh, behind, uh, the Board of Ed uh, has set some really high goals for itself. They announced this the other day at a meeting, uh, their first meeting, their goals uh, to just to deal with a, a whole new way of uh, treating the students who go to the Chicago public schools. And I think the Mayor Romway was set up in that first conversation he had with Karen Lewis way back when I would have been, let's see, Rahm got elected in February of 2011. So like maybe early March, I don't know when it was exactly, but he took her out for dinner and he told her this is the way the world's going to be. And she said, you're what you're proposing would just turn us uh, into like the public schools into daycare facilities. And he said, 25% of the kids in Chicago won't amount to anything anyway. So we can't worry about them. And that, I believe, is the attitude that corporate Chicago has had uh, to the students in the city of Chicago. Uh, And I believe at least just in terms of what they say, uh, the new board appointees by uh, Brandon Johnson have a different attitude. Do you think it's just fancy talking, uh, Brendan, or do you actually believe uh, that we're going to try a new approach? With public education in chicago
0: yeah so you you pinpoint the internal struggle for essentially the last 30 35 years in major u.s cities which is whether or not public schools housing public policy in general local governments whether their purpose is to identify and filter out the individuals who will serve the corporate workforce, or whether their purpose is to serve a larger whole community with dignity, and and with the understanding that all residents of a of a given city have dignity. And for the first thirty five years after Reagan, um, every city essentially operated with a neo what's you know what's often referred to as a neoliberal perspective or a Reaganomics perspective. They all had center right uh, mayors who viewed all the the primary function of local government not to provide services for the whole common goods for commons for the whole uh but to to essentially do what what Rom implied which was just provide enough to call out and filter out those who can participate in corporate america and that is the sea change that occurred in april that is what um what brandon johnson and uwf and and all those progressive and DSA Alderman said would be the difference, um, is that you would finally have a city for the whole, a city that was about all of its residents with the understanding that every resident and citizen had dignity and that's how the public commons and public goods are supposed to operate. Um, and you said I had one good friend, really, my longest, far and away, my longest friend on the new board is Rudy uh, Lozano Jr. who I've known since we were kids. Um, and And I know that of the two people I know really well on the board, that's their perspective of how public education should operate. And frankly, I think that um, that's the perspective of this new administration. Now, I know we've discussed over the past few weeks, you know, how do you what tactics and strategy you use to get to that, to effectuate that long term perspective and, you know, there's more specifically whether or not you shake mom's hand and send out a thankful tweet if that's what you're trying to accomplish. And, and we disagreed on, on whether that was effective strategy or not. But but that is the that is the the watershed change. For thirty-five years, um we've had local government in every major city, not just Chicago, uh, that that did not necessarily come from the perspective of it is the charge of local government to find a way to serve every resident and citizen with the public commons of goods, education, health housing, park district, so on and so forth, um, as much as to find a way to, to feed corporate interests. And now that's
2: changed. And I believe it's a sincere
0: uh, difference in perspective.
2: All right. Be- Before we move on to aliens, which is on your mind, I have to go back to something you just addressed. So folks should hear uh, in in just a uh, truncated form the intense debate that occurred between Brendan and myself about. Was it a week ago? I want to say I've lost track of time, Brendan. Uh, and uh, so it occurred. I talked about it on the mic. Uh, I've had exchanges with various uh, uh, Mayor Johnson people on this. Uh, had conversation with about on the mic with guests about two weeks ago. Or a, uh, I think it was a Saturday. The um, Brendan uh, Johnson uh, sent out an IG. I, I say, Brandon, Mayor Johnson. I don't believe he actually wrote this thing. I do not believe he writes um, his Instagram or Twitter messages, or maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. Uh, But it was a picture of Mayor Johnson and Mayor Rahm, and they had a meeting together. Uh, And in uh, the uh, text below the picture, uh, Mayor Johnson, or whoever wrote it, said he wanted to thank (laughs) Mayor Sorry, I can I could do this with a straight face. He wanted to thank Mayor Rahm for his continued leadership, and my position where that was one of the most cynical uh, comments I'd ever seen because the leadership of Rahm Emanuel led to the movement that launched Brandon Johnson's career, and that most of the people, the true believers who voted for Brandon Johnson, would think would not cite anything anything in the curriculum of one mayor, Rahm Emanuel, that would fall into the category of leadership. Uh, and uh, so I figured it was some kind of like political move that was over my head. Uh, and so I, I sent that tweet out to everybody in my universe. Uh, and Brendan uh, responded with his position on it. So you might as well take an opportunity to deliver your position. Go.
0: Yeah, of course it was cynical. All politics is cynical, but that doesn't mean it wasn't effective leadership. And if the objective words cost nothing and if words can get you um, a get you some access and influence over people who would otherwise be your opposition. Um, Then you, you spend a few words and you soften up the opposition and, and Rahm himself isn't necessarily the target, but Rahm still has friends with money and power and influence in the city. And if they see that, that the mayor was being nice to Rahm, then they will recognize that the mayor can be nice to them and the mayor has been nice to them. And then the things, the actual policy things that matter to the mayor and his sports, like one of the things we may or may not get to discuss later in terms of the unified minimum wage, those things will have less opposition eventually from the from the the establishment. And so, that, that strategy, politics, and governing is strategy and tactics, and they can be cynical at times.
2: Yes. All right, I will allow my guests to get the last word because that's how I do it on the Ben Jarofsky Show because I appreciate my guests for coming on. Uh, We could probably do a whole hour on cynicism in Chicago, which really, not just Chicago, cynicism in general. uh, It's really on my mind, uh, Brennan. It gets more, I become, my ability to deal with cynical behavior lessens over the time. Because I do believe it's corrosive. I believe there's a corrosiveness to it that if the more cynical our leaders are, the less people believe in government. And they believe if they don't believe we I mean, this will fall right into the aliens thing uh, that we're going to have a conversation. Anyway, there's a corrosive effect of cynicism in government and um, people, the less they believe in government, the, the scarier it is. The less they believe our leaders, the more our leaders seem to contradict themselves. um, I think it's dangerous to democracy. I absolutely believe that. Um, Which leads us. Let's go into aliens. That was on your mind and you'll probably join the two conversations together. Uh, You said, I want to talk about aliens. And uh, I'm not quite sure what you want to talk about, but the floor is yours. Go ahead.
0: I'm not sure what I want to talk about either, but I. So let's that, that's, that's clarify, there's a difference between aliens and unexplained phenomena. Um, and, uh, you know, I am, this is where my tinfoil hat comes on. I'm one of the people who believe is far more likely we are living in one of the infinite number of AI simulations that are going to be created hundreds of years from now, and thousands of years from now, than living in the single unitary actual timeline that created those um those simulations and if, if if that's the fact then of course there are all sorts of unexplained phenomena whether you define them as aliens or not because all computer programs have glitches we've all witnessed this simulations glitches a million times both in our individual lives and in our collective lives and so of course there's unexplained phenomena that exist that the government uh knows
2: exists but doesn't know
0: what it is so they lie to us about it
2: <laughs> so they lied to us about it well that just one line of yours just let's pause before we get into uh why we're talking about this i because of the he- congressional hearings uh on ufos actually they're uh unidentified aerial phenomenon man that it's a struggle for me to get that out uh the government lies to us like you said that with such certainty and you absolutely believe it as a certainty. Of course, the government lies. So, how can we, as a, if we work from the assumption that the government lies to us, how do we, as an enlightened citizenry, learn to distinguish the truth from the lies?
0: Well, you can't when half the time they're not certain of the dis- difference between the truth or the lies. Half the reason they're lying is because they don't know. And so people who don't know stuff, who feel obligated to be authoritative and say stuff, make stuff up. And half the time when they make stuff up, they're lying, but they're actually telling the truth and they don't even realize it. Um, And so that's, you know, I don't know if any individual uh, can identify um, the the holes in the matrix, so to speak. Um, That may be too much. Maybe that's my cynicism. Uh, I think the best you can do is um, just deal with real, real actual effects of, of decisions and policies and, and, and work collectively to impact those and not worry about the words. So I'll kind of go back to what I was saying about um, the mayor, mayor and mom. The, the words don't matter. What matters is the action and the policies.
2: So wait a minute. Uh, all right. Words don't matter. Uh, I don't believe you actually believe that uh words don't matter this is a guy who got his start ladies and gentlemen writing she was he was a journalist for a while before and then he was a lawyer words don't matter all right so i'm gonna put you put it straight to you since you and no ducking and dodging when when mayor brandon johnson either wrote or approved that message that uh thanking Rom for his continued leadership do you think he meant it do you think that he believes Rom? uh he believed that putting out that tweet ultimately will inure to the greater benefit
0: of citizens of Chicago, which is what matters, which is why the words themselves don't matter. The intent was to ensure that he had an easier path to implement his policies, which will inure to the benefit of greater Chicago. And that intent matters more. if it is, And if the strategy works, the impact of those few words matter a whole lot more than whether the words were completely
2: sincere. All right. Today's guest is George Orwell. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, it'll be 1984. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. Brendan is playing chess. I'm playing checkers. All right. Uh, I do believe words matter. Uh, I I also do not believe that we've ever been visited uh, by spacemen. Okay, now I'm going to tie it back to what we were talking about before. Um, I do not believe that uh, there have been visitors from other planets like we saw in the um, Steven Spielberg movie, Close Encounters. Uh, I don't believe, even though there are people who believe that, that that um, uh, has ever happened. But I do believe there have been unexplained, unidentified flying objects – uh, and I think it's, uh, undercuts democracy for our government, not to come clean on what they are. And I yesterday,
0: I don't think our government knows what they are. And I know you've, we had a brief discussion. I know you've had other people, you discussed this yesterday yeah. and, they, and they have theories that this is actually the government doing testing. I would submit there's things that happen that, that no human being knows. Regardless of their, regardless of how much resources, whether they're in the government, how smart they are, how much they've studied, whether they're in science, you know, 200 years ago, human beings had no idea about radio waves or Wi-Fi or cell, and that would be complete black magic to them, right? We know we're all made of energy, and that energy is infinite and it doesn't dissipate. But there are phenomena that will always exist, no matter how advanced we get, that we don't understand because we didn't create this universe. Um, and so you know, separate from the issue of the fact that people on authority lie oftentimes out of fear or ignorance is the fact that there's stuff of course there's unexplained stuff that we don't know um that nobody knows there's always going to be unexplained stuff that nobody knows
2: um, so do you think it would be uh more helpful if our leaders were just straight up and they would say they would treat something like um? the The video that uh, we talked about yesterday on yesterday's show of, they look like uh, I got uh, Tic Tacs, uh, those little dots that, uh, that have been videotaped. You can see it uh, on YouTube if you want. Uh, Navy pilots have seen it and they go, oh, my God, look, I, we had no explanation for it. Do you think it would be more beneficial if like, President Biden uh, were to come out and say, we don't know what that is?
0: Well, I think they say that a lot. Uh, I think what you're getting more to is whether it'd be more beneficial if they told us some about some of the stuff they do know and whether or not that stuff is military stuff on their part or military stuff on other part or even private corporate stuff. I mean, the the private corporate stuff with like the, the race to the, you know, to Mars between <laughs> Bezos and 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 musk and all that all that stuff could be part of what's happening and yeah of course better more transparency the better but i think it's unrealistic to think that people with power will always be transparent without some
2: pressure yeah uh all right so no transparent is such a joke of a word every mayor uh since rom i think rom used it in his campaign he was going to be the most transparent <laughs> in the city of chicago i'm laughing because he was the least transparent uh and we have matt topic come on the show uh you know every now and then a FOIA lawyer extraordinaire and we like great mayors like who is who is the most deceitful in the way they deal with public Records requests. Uh, and I believe Mayor Rahm is still the champ, uh, although Lori life gave him a run for the money. So then the jury's still out on Brennan Johnson. But why do we cling to this notion that we want transparency when in reality, nobody in their life wants complete transparency? People are always covering up in their ordinary life. They're always like either misdirecting folks when it comes to their lives. It's so, but we. We say as a principle we want transparency. And yet, if any one of us were put in that room as an advisor to Rahm or Brandon Johnson, we may end up like Patrick Buchanan and say, burn the tapes or Donald Trump, get rid so, of the evidence. Go. So you
0: agree with me that the actual impact of the policy is more important than all the words that led to it?
2: No, I actually (laughs) believe in transparency, but I'm wondering why we as a citizenry, as a city of Chicago, say we believe in transparency, even though we don't believe it. Like, why is it helpful for Rahm or any mayor to run and say, I'm going to be a transparent mayor when we know he won't be? Like, we we say we want things, but we don't really want them. What's that all about?
0: (laughs) I think, and this may be the lawyer speaking, um, it is unrealistic to have expect a hundred percent transparency in any deliberative process. Um there there are always there there are reasons, both in personal lives and in collective lives, that certain that people need to feel that certain conversations are confidential, otherwise they won't be truthful. Always.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm gonna say I don't believe that's true. Uh I believe that people can I have now had on the mic a conversation that I had off the mic with you about uh, Brandon Johnson uh, and that tweet, and it—the conversation we had on the mic does not differ from the conversation we had off the mic.
0: Yeah, but I have no—I I, have—I'm a poker player in Vegas. I, I, you could ask me anything. <laughs> That's not the point. People <laughs> making in power, making or even in personalized making. Deliberative decisions sometimes need some confidentiality in order to make the best decision.
2: All right. We'll let that one go. Uh, I love my favorite part. I'm just a poker player in uh, Vegas, by the way. So I, I need to know this. You were talking about phenomenon that we just don't understand. And we're in, we just at this moment, we're incapable of understanding um, and that we just have to deal with that as a reality. Do you deal with that as a reality in your approach to poker? Like there's things you don't understand and you have to work around that ignorance. Go.
0: No, I think I, I, I actually have studied a lot and I've studied the math a lot. And I think I understand mo- more than probably 90, 99% poker players. My issue is I, we've discussed this before. My issue is I don't implement my understand always. I don't have the discipline to go through the process. There are some really high level math processes that very few people understand that you can go through on every street and every card in terms of trying to figure out the probability not uh, not just of what the range is of the other opponents in your range and your projected range but also of what the probability of certain cards are to come and how that impacts there's a lot of, of math calculations that can be going on that i actually understand how to do and i just don't do enough um uh uh, yeah, we've discussed this. Uh, there's a there's a lot of information out there that a vast majority of poker players don't understand. But I don't. I'm not in that category.
2: So, but, yeah. So then there's the when we we're trying to break down what we can't understand about phenomenon that we see uh, on a video, then you can reduce it. You could you could think about it like a card game. Here are the possibilities. There are ten possibilities, and then we can eliminate just using a logic which one are least likely to be and arrive at a general consensus
0: okay let me let me contradict myself and take a left turn there is a theory of dynamic physics that no matter is is actually fixed and that everything is based on interactions with people who see it so the the it's not just a philosophical question that no one hears that the tree doesn't make a sound in the forest and no one's there to hear it it's an actual reality and there's a whole and this is this is this theory is actually um there's there's been a whole bunch of recent stuff about how reality is actually just a conglomeration of a bunch of realities grafted onto each other and that there's a constant fight in people's perspective that helps create reality and if that's the case then the cards before the the plop and the turn of the river are constantly changing they're not set it's not a set face until the people actually see it and the people's thoughts and perspective in there at the table impact what the actual card is and if that's the case that's a phenomenon that no math that we understand
2: can can address right now wow and i'm gonna uh not follow that where I want to go. It could be a half hour conversation. Of, are you saying that you could actually change the card that exists by altering what you play? I don't think that's what you're saying, but it's not. No, I'm saying do. in
0: part that there is a, and there was a recent article I read about that was tweeted out by a different poker player two or three months ago. I'm saying in part that the, the idea that our brains create our reality is is that there's an actual there's a there's a theory that there's an actual reality that's based on the conglomeration of what we're thinking and willing at any given time which is possible if you understand that 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 thoughts are energy and all energy it doesn't dissipate and so therefore the the card the face of the card as long as the card down is constantly changing for every possible card that's left in the deck and it's impacted by the energy of the dealer, the energy of all the card players, and that the card is not act, doesn't become solidified until it gets turned up. And the, the, the what the actual card is that gets turned up was impacted by the will, thoughts, desires, feelings, fears of everybody who had a stake in, in who actually was viewing the card as it got turned up. And it became a conglomeration of those. There's a, and that's how all reality uh, operates. And and it's, it's, I'm not, this isn't a tinfoil hat theory. This is an actual theory of reality that's science-based.
2: This sounds like some kind of trippy conversation I had back in the 70s. Uh, yeah.
0: But, the, so, that, anyway. But we, I, I, will, I will say this. We, I will can say we talk that. about tip credit? Can we no. talk about some? We'll, we'll get to tip stuff? credit. We're going oh, to okay. get
2: to tip credit. I will say yeah. this. This reminds me of a conversation I had about a week ago. I was watching a, the Cubs game with my friend. Uh, and he was upset because the Cubs made an error, uh, and as a result, of that error a couple of batters later, um, the pitcher gave up a, a home run, and the Cubs uh, they lost. And okay, and he goes, "If he hadn't made that error," and I go, "That is what I call the Harry Carey fallacy," so named for Harry Carey, the former announcer for the Cubs, who would always talk about, "If he hadn't dropped that pop uh, fly, he would," and then he would he would say the Cubs would get out of the inning. And I always point out everything that happens is based on what happened before it. So we don't know what would have happened had in the case of the pop fly that Harry Carey was bemoaning, he caught the pop fly or in the Cub game I saw last week, we, if the Cub made the, we don't know what would have happened. It could have been worse. We have absolutely no idea. You can't say with any degree of certainty that absolute things would have been the same had the, if the Cub guy had caught the ball. And that's the Harry Carey fallacy. You can't. So the idea that you can control the card through your will. No, it's
0: not so much you can control the cards through your will. But if you bring it back to what I said earlier, and there's an infinite number of AI simulations being created in the future, and we're just living in one of them, all those simulations have an infinite number of varieties. And we just happen to be living in this one, which grafted all those simulations into this one. And this one was the sum of those.
2: All right. Uh, we will move on uh, to uh, from uh, planet Ben and Brendan to <laughs> planet Chicago uh, and uh, do some really concrete things. Uh, I'm going to start with referendum then you can come with uh, the minimum okay. wage. Uh, I sent you this article today from the today's bright one, Chicago Sun Times, And I cr- was critical of um uh Brandon Johnson's comms team for sending out that ROM tweet, but I'm going to give them a little love for this one. So they have a proposal, uh, bring Chicago home. Hope I got it right. I'm always dyslexia, getting things reversed, I essentially would slap attacks on the sale of homes over a million dollars to raise money to build housing, uh, low income housing, housing for the homeless. Uh, This is an idea that's been around for a while, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, didn't want anything to do with it, uh, so it didn't see the light of day in the city of Chicago. Uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson and his allies have been supporting it. Uh, In yesterday's city uh, council meeting, uh, they talked about having a referendum, a citywide referendum, where it would be put to the voters. And I found that such a refreshing idea. Because Chicago, Chicago Chicagoans are treated like children by their leaders. So the things that Chicagoans say they want are things that the leaders don't want, probably because they are are those things that the people of Chicago want are opposed by a relatively handful of well-connected friends and cronies of the mayors. Uh, And so the concept that Chicagoans would get to determine at a referendum what they want has been buried in Chicago. Mayor Rahm would play all kinds of games to keep the citizens of Chicago from having a referendum on something like, oh, I don't know, an elected school board. I remember when Rahm, he would stack the ballot with meaningless questions that would keep a referendum off that was of substance and mattered to people. Somebody like, hey, what do you think, Chicago? Should I wear a blue tie today or a red tie today? Okay, it was a little more meaningful than that, but not much more. So the concept of allowing the voters to determine like do we want to have this tax uh on property over that sells for over a million dollars or what should that tax should be a, a marginal rate or just a straight up over a million dollars i find that refreshing your thoughts brendan
0: yeah well i think what chicago has shown over the last 12 years 15 years is that we are leading the way in building grassroots support for ultimate policy change. And the people who who built the grassroots support that led, specifically of CTU and UWF that led to to Brandon Johnson's victory and to you know to whatever it is, 16 to 18 really progressive alders, um, understand that uh, the policy change that's supposed to inure to the benefit of the masses as opposed to the benefit of the powerful and connected can only happen. If you really build grassroots support for it, um, I mean, I think the, the not to sidetrack this too much, but I think the ideal example is is the Pretrial Fairness Act, and how in 2013 and 2014, those activists who got there, who were who started off being involved in in police reform stuff and the Ferguson and Lequan McDonald, really focused on on the coalition to end bail money and came at it in a really grassroots way. With a variety of strategies that include legal Judge Evans, um, the public defender, and the state legislature, and built it to the point that that a really controversial uh, law was gonna, was never going to be overturned by by the Supreme Court or a few handful of people, and so I, the the people who are running the city now, I think understand that um, you when you're going to make some massive changes that that impact either the power dynamic or impact how you raise revenue and make it try to make it much more progressive and not regressive you've got to go through a process that really builds grassroots support and but here's the thing there's actually been a number of Ward wide and precinct wide referendums on housing and affordable housing done over the last dozen years in the city. And and I'm familiar with a bunch of them that happened in the 46 ward over the last 20 years. And they always get 65, 70 percent support. And I suspect um, that this referendum will get 65, 60, 65 percent support citywide and will be a no brainer and then make it um, make it much easier to implement.
2: Well, this uh, if if I understand it. Uh, and I guess we should bring on uh, Alderman uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa to explain it uh, in all its details. Or maybe they haven't even figured out the details yet, but it would be a binding referendum. So that's different than an advisory referendum on a local level, on a precinct level. This would be a rev- this would be like the fair tax, which yes. was, uh, I'm not sure.
0: How, the, the, so. So. There's there's certain things that the state has to pass um, and there's certain things that the city has home rule to pass. Um, I, I'm not aware of anything in the city of Chicago I'm not aware of anything both in the state law and the city of Chicago municipal code that would allow the city itself to do a binding referendum as it relates to a citywide tax but but I'm not I'm not nearly as knowledgeable of of the laws at of that type of laws all all the Ramirez is so Rose is. so I don't I know.
2: think And this is dangerous because words do matter. Uh, And if I screw it up, uh, people will be misled. But I believe that the city of Chicago, like this tax could be imposed or created by the state legislature or by a referendum of the voters in the city of Chicago, one or the other. Uh, And the problem with going to the state legislature is that uh, various real estate industry uh, interests would have their ear. Uh, and would prevent it from passing in Springfield, uh, or even getting a vote, for that matter. Uh, it said now if you go before the public, and let's just say, let's just say it could happen. Like the public has the authority. Let's just assume it would uh, that the. Let's just for the sake of this argument, um, there would be a pushback, and this is what uh, many lefties were warned about when we talked about elected school board. Uh, the the uh, guys. Just so you know, if there's an elected school board, people that you disagree with, they get to run. They get to uh, put money behind their campaigns. They could win. And you may not like the policies they implement. That would be the argument I've heard from many people against elected school board. And so to draw the analogy. You know, it could turn it into another fair tax situation. Yeah,
0: but people don't realize the fair tax got like one, like 65 percent of the vote in the city of Chicago. It lost state. It did. It won a majority statewide. It didn't get the threshold it needed statewide, but it demolished. It dominated in the city of Chicago. Um, and so I, I don't think that's a good argument. And. It, it's if we're going to win these arguments, we need to win them amongst we need to make, have the political fight win amongst the masses. And here's the other thing: is there in the city of Chicago, there is no organized opposition. There's a bunch of money, but the the we are the the left is ascendant uh, in terms of not just the ideas, but the actual power structure. For the first time in my lifetime, I suspect for the first time in your lifetime, and so you should take advantage of that and run those referendums
2: uh it, it is it is uh well my lifetime is a little longer than yours as i like to point out i lived through harold washington but he did not have uh he was a lefty but he did not have the the control of the, they have, no, they
0: have, yeah. the power base was still the right. machine the yes. power was still the machine yeah
2: all right i'm having my um my crew of researchers uh look up the fair tax we'll get the results to you before we uh could discontinue uh we, before we end our conversation the fair tax uh just to get the exact percentage in the city of chicago it did you're absolutely correct for my memory uh get more than 50 percent that is for sure.
0: i'm sure it got more in, i think it got like 65 percent in the city
2: of chicago but if i'm wrong you'll, you'll wait what did you say how much did you say it's about
0: i think it got 65 percent in
2: the city of chicago this this is a classic bet. this is a bet this like if Brendan lived in Chicago, I would make the see because I told him the last I'll time. I tell me, you what, tell I was you what. a gambler back in the day. Okay,
0: 50, fifty pushups, fifty pushups on a on a virtual call, for if it's uh, if 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 I'm within three points, if I'm within three points. It Was it was 62 to 68? You do 50 push ups. If it was less than 62, I'll do 50 push ups.
2: I'll do 50 push ups over the course of 50 days. How about that? Okay. All, right? all right, 50 push ups is like just the thought of it. All right, let's get to um, uh, unified minimum wage. I know you have a lot to say on this topic, so I turn things over to you. Uh, no, I, I don't have on. a lot.
0: I, I've had a f- bunch of conversations over the last couple of days, which is why I wanted to talk about because it, it's really interesting because in Vegas you have a two-tiered system as it relates to servers, but that isn't due in large part to whether or not a casino is unionized, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not immersed here in the local politics, but I've had a bunch of conversations with servers and there's some servers making 18, 20, $23 an hour in some of these casinos plus tips. And there's some servers not, and and you have the two tiered, and and they're making whatever the minimum wage is with tip credit in Vegas, and you have a real two tiered system here, but the two tiered system is based more on um, on who's unionized and the collective bargaining, I think, than it is based on on um, statute and law. But I've talked to some servers in Chicago, and I do, I actually do think. that there is an argument to be made cons- on behalf of kind of the small business people and the conservative people that in the end, if you make a unified wage and you remove what's called tip credit, um, what you have is a bunch of restaurant. And this it, it isn't something that's a product of a collective bargaining or more of a mass organizing movement. It's something that's just done via uh, legislative uh action there will be some restaurants which immediately impose a higher service fee on the on the check and they make a big deal of it in terms of their organizing which would which may result in substantially lowering tips across the board and in the end could end up actually harming or reducing some of the of the actual wages of um servers in particular since a lot of the tips come in cash still even in 2023 and probably aren't reported so i think this is a much trick unlike some of the other stuff where i think some of the arguments from conservatives and business folks and corporate interests are cynical um and not sincere and genuine i think the there's a there's some real discussion to be had here uh, this is a lot more nuanced and complex in terms of what the ultimate harm could be to the people who are trying to help Um, The servers and how this will impact, you know, some some of their unreported income and those things. And I think there's there's some legitimate concern that making a unified minimum wage or and removing tip credit um, could ultimately hurt some servers, bottom line.
2: Before I respond, I'm going to uh, make a concession that's kind of painful for you to make because I like to uh, believe that I'm always right and my guests are uh, always less knowledgeable than I am. But I must confess, I had my researchers look up the results of the fair tax referendum in the city of Chicago 2020. Just the city of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, not Cook County as a whole, not state of Illinois as a whole. Uh, and it, I must tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it hurts to say Brendan Schiller is right. I didn't really say anything, but let's just say I was wrong. I didn't come in with a guess, but Brendan Schiller is right. God, does that hurt me to say that? 71.4% uh, vote yeah. yes in the city of Chicago. So to Brendan's larger point, uh, Chicago is a, I don't know what the word is, liberal, progressive, more liberal or progressive, whatever term, more lefty, whatever term you want to use, whatever you want to call yourself lefties progressives. Uh, I happen to think the progressive word has been just so overused. That it's meaningless. Uh, uh, but whatever it is, Chicago to your point is more lefty, uh, than you would realize by reading the editorial pages of the downtown daily. That's for certain. So, uh, Hats off to you, young man. You were correct uh, on that, 71%. All right, going back uh, to- um, Wait, the, if this was 71%,
0: that means on some of those south and west side, it was like 85%. And that I, I, that's, I, I think people often talk about, because this, I know this is a sidetrack, but because the south and west side have some very moderate um, black representation in the city council, People often talk about how those those wards are somehow not progressive. Those wards that voted 80 percent for Brandon Johnson, those wards if, if it was 71 percent of the state of Chicago, that means wards like the sixth ward, eighth ward, 21st ward voted 85 percent for the fair tax. And I think uh, that that means there's no way this referendum would pass. And I All think right. that's really important to your point.
2: I'll tie the two themes. We, we interrupted our conversation. So uh, Alderman Anthony Beal, the Alderman of the Ninth Ward on the far south side of Chicago, uh, was a strong ally of uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Daley. Uh, not so much an ally of Brandon Johnson. Uh, deferred and published the proposal to uh, hike the minimum wage. Uh, for restaurant workers, which is what uh, Brennan is talking about, he's opponent. He said it's going to hurt uh, small businesses. That was his argument. So it was like a conservative argument, and he was sort of representing conservative Chicago on that. In his ward, the ninth ward, was which is a majority black ward. Okay, uh, the vote was for the fair tax. Are you ready for this? Eighty-six uh, percent. To your point. Eighty six percent of the Ninth Ward voted for a fair tax, even though the Alderman of the Ninth Ward is going is saying that a minimum wage, which is connected to the fair tax, it's all about uh, having a more equitable society. Right. Poor people get more money. Uh, (laughs) He's sort of like a conservative Uh, in the eighth ward, which is uh, uh, I want to say it's almost 100 percent black. Yeah. The 8th is, I'll tell you right now, 86% voted for it. So your point's well taken. Uh, Now, let's take a look at, before we go, as long as I have it here, the 46th Ward, which is uh, Helen Schiller's Ward, Brendan Schiller's Ward. He grew up in the 46th Ward. uh, And... All right, let's see your 46 ward. What do you what what's your sense of the 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 vote in the 46 ward? If I was going to bet if I was going to bet a number on the 46 ward, I would say
0: 54% in favor of the fair tax.
2: Dude, it was 78%.
0: Uh, I was wrong. I, I have you know, I have PTSD from from the 90s in, in the 46 ward. And and clearly I I clearly I'm so wrong about the 46 ward.
2: Are our apologies to all residents of the 46th ward <laughs> we have besmirched your reputation all right i listen i'm very distru- uh, distrustful of any argument against uh, a wage hike that would benefit <laughs> the laborers on the grounds that the wage hike is not for the for the laborers that goes back to words don't matter that goes back to orwellian arguments yeah. i'm going to give my uh weight Waiter, my wait staff a raise. And now I'm gonna to have to hear a convoluted explanation of how that raise is not really a raise. In fact, that raise is against your interest. I hear that every time every time that they talk they talk about raising the minimum wage across the board, there's a whole bunch of libertarians <laughs> and they get writing articles, writing newspaper editorials. Yeah. Oh, this is terrible I'm for not, workers. I'm not making that argument. The minimum wage
0: is the minimum wage does not it uh, hurts the bottom line of workers it hurts the bottom line of owners and it should and the minimum wage in general should always go higher and it always nurses to the benefit of anybody who earns their wages who earns their income based on on hourly work or um or it's some other way that isn't based on somebody else's labor the only the only bottom you know there's there's two types of people in this in this in this country those who earn wages based on their own labor and skill and those who earn earn income based on somebody else's wage uh labor and skill and the, and and i'm not saying anything um the minimum wage should be higher than it is uh and 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 taxation should be progressive and not regressive but i do think it doesn't go back to the the point that words don't matter it goes back to the point that you have to there's certain ways you impact change involving building grassroots support, and when I look at what happened here in Vegas, those those service members who are part of the collectively bargains um, uh, minimum wage in the casinos get get those wages plus the tips, and the tips aren't impacted. Um, I just think that without some some real thought and some real uh, you know organizing and education and some honest conversation with some of of these smaller restaurant owners that it, the wages could there could be a real impact where the tips do get uh impacted in the old and the overall bottom line for some of these wage earners is actually lower and i think that's not a cynical it may be a cynical argument being made by the conservatives to 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 defeat the the unified minimum wage but there's some legitimate things to consider and discuss in that argument. Yeah.
2: Well, it would. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, I would love to see some uh, real research on this, which we never talk about But going back to transparency in the city of Chicago. We never get it. We never have like a like a legitimate, never have a legitimate discussion where, where people are. All right, here's the here, here's the evidence. Like in the city of Chicago, they're all done deals. You know this as well as I do. That's why people are so cynical in Chicago. It's like a done deal. I remember debates here in a tangent with a tangent, uh, Brendan, with the Community Development Commission, which was the body that uh, overview oversees TIF expenditures. And I remember that there was a debate that came before the CDC about one particular TIF deal down on the far southeast side. And I remember a CDC member saying in exasperation, you guys should have worked this out before you came to us. And I'm like, no, you're the oversight body. You're the one who, one person, It's like we, we have something called democracy. One person is saying X, the other person is saying Y. It's your job, your function to figure out where, what, you should have worked this out. Why are you bringing this to us? Because hello, you're the oversight body. So it's, I would like maybe this new age, we would have a legitimate discussion. I will, I will say this, and get your thoughts on this before we move to our final topic. Ultimately, even if the prices go up in a restaurant because they have to compensate for paying their servers more money, the people who eat can still leave a tip. Yeah, no, that's not the question. The question is,
0: do the more conservative restaurant owners, and I'll call out some of them, they're my friends, Sam Sanchez and Carmen Rossi and and the last entertainment folks, do they do... Something which people often do, which is take a political stance and make a big deal about X percentage on the bill. X percentage of your prices are going to our labor costs, and does their kind of um, their own grassroots organizing, so to speak, at their restaurants directly impact the tips of uh, their their wage earners? If this if this unified wage is done in a way that doesn't really engage them so that they feel they have some ultimate ownership over not only what the wage is, but the process and the timeline.
2: Yeah, and I would say this to that, uh, and I'll, everything comes down to sports to me. Uh, it, it You got to ask, is your customer... Charles Barkley, or is your customer Scotty Pippen? Scotty Pippen was notoriously tight on tips. His nickname, I don't know if you know this, Brennan was no tip and Pippen. Okay. Yeah. Charles Barkley, on the other hand, is just widely known for his generosity. I love Charles. I'm a huge Charles Barkley fan on so many levels, but one of which was that he was just known. He'd go into a bar, he threw down. Quote my wife, he threw down. All right. So really, it's like, will. That Scotty Pippins of the world look for any excuse they can not to leave a tip, or will people be more like Charles Barkley? 20% on $10, 20% of it. Let's say the, the price goes up to $15. You can't afford it. Charles Barkley's in the world, in the city of Chicago, all those restaurants that you talk about are Rush street, all you patrons of those Rush street restaurants, if the, if your steak costs $10 more, OK, I'm going to do some math for you. If your steak costs ten dollars more, you can't afford two extra dollars and tip. What times are hard for you. Do you lose at the poker table. I mean, come on. Cheap is cheap. That's my argument. Show. do you have any thoughts before I move on to the next topic?
0: No, um, I'm I'm not trying to rush you, but I'm getting texts from somebody who's waiting. Uh,
2: for oh, okay, really? We'll close time. with this straight up: uh, one up or down, uh, and we'll have the li- longer discussion on it later. Uh, yesterday, uh, uh, Brandon uh, Johnson, Mayor Johnson, and Kevin Warren, the CEO of the Bears, met. Uh, it's still an option. Bear Stadium in the city of Chicago still an option. Troubles in Arlington Heights with negotiation between the Bears uh, and. Uh, the Arlington Heights. In your humble opinion, should Mayor Brandon Johnson pursue this deal? Keep these negotiations going. Go. No,
0: uh, no, I don't. And, and so, one, every study has shown that not a single subsidy to a sports team or a sports stadium has has eventually inured to the benefit of anybody other than who the subsidy went directly to. The there is no huge economic benefit. Um, it, it's a mythology, right? and especially when it comes to football you're talking 10 10 Sundays out of the year um and so we have given a lakefront prime real estate park district owned and operated um subsidized home for essentially a hundred years <laughs> to a corporate entity that's now worth billions yeah. of dollars right yeah. um and that is the exact opposite of of what this administration and the people said we're supposed to be about. We believe in economic growth, but we believe in create if we're if the government's going to play a role in helping to spur or subsidize that economic growth, it should be from the top. I mean, from the bottom up, not from the top down. And this is this is top down subsidizing that doesn't even create economic growth. Um, And I understand that there is definitely, and I do believe there is a kind of benefit to the civic pride that comes from sports teams, but um, you know, the Anaheim Angels were the Anaheim Angels forever. And if you were in Los Angeles and liked them, you still liked them. Um, And if the Chicago Bears are in Arlington Heights or Schomburg or Tidley park or wherever else there's everybody else is still going to think of them as the Chicago bears when the Detroit Pistons played in Auburn Hills, nobody called them the Auburn Hills. Pistons. And so uh. the civic pride aspect ain't going to change regardless of what suburb they're in. So let's not give them a dime of our money or y'all money. Cause I'm in Vegas, a dime of your money to, <laughs> to stay in Chicago and mess up 10 days out of the year. The traffic patterns, if you're trying to come from um, the Stevenson into downtown Chicago.
2: All right, fair enough. His body may be in Vegas, but his heart is still uh, in Chicago, in the 46th Ward. Uh, And so, Brendan, I'm going to let you get back to your day. Thank you very much for taking time uh, once again to come on my show, and we'll talk to you real soon, all right? Thank you. It's always a pleasure.
0: It's always a pleasure. All
2: right, that's great, Brendan Chiller. I also want to thank Producer Chris. Outstanding job, as always. Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody.
1: And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews and so much more all for free at chicagoreader.com. Follow the Ben Jarofsky show on Instagram at Benny J show and like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.